Nightcaps of the Living Dead. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Capitalism's a bitch. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> we are <laughs> so happy to be back after a long hiatus. And there are two more days till Halloween. Halloween. Now we have already covered John Carpenter's OG Halloween and the episodes Don't Cry For Me, Jamie Lee. It was a two-parter because we love this franchise so much. Um, it's taken several decades for the third installment to defeat the haters. It's become a cult classic. It's a wild standalone film, and it doesn't include Michael Myers or Babysitters. It's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Guillermo, you are in this beautiful dark lair on my Zoom. Dear listener, <laughs> G is emerging from the darkness, and just in all black, his face has like an eerie glow from the computer and there's a flickering light behind him and this, <laughs> this amazing bar on the desk uh, what are you drinking what's going on over there so yeah i'm, I'm in the halloween spirit today yeah, um so i'm drinking so i'm drinking what i like to call a skinny moscow mule okay. which is essentially kettle one vodka which is what i have right here and i have two bottles of um, Reed's Ginger Beer Zero Sugar. Mm. This is an amazing new discovery. Mm-hmm. It's ginger beer without any of the carbs. It's zero sugar and it's all natural ingredients. So it's basically like having like a carbonated ginger drink. I mean, ginger beer mm-hmm. without any of the of the calories. So, and I have it in a owl copper mug. That is a really impressive mug. I the like shape that of mug. An owl oh, that's to so keep cute. it cool on this cool pre-Halloween night. (laughs) I love your dark layer setup. This is so great. Uh, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I am drinking. Let me show you. It is a Butterfinger whiskey shot. (gasps) I'm going to be sipping on this. Yeah, otherwise I'm going to be Oh, you got the candy. You got the trick-or-treat going. (laughs) I I admire your, you know, your thoughtful set up and good for your stomach and digestion i'm just going to halloween town so what jack did he he crushed up butterfingers and put it in a bottle of wild turkey and let it sit for a few days and it's delicious i was like do we need to add milk or something to make this a martini nope it is fantastic it is a sipper so oh i'm so jealous i, well, I want this you decadent can, drink you can have it when you come visit so oh just know that God. is in your future. So I'm going to drink a little sip of that. So we both cherish this weird little film. We know that Darcy the male girl from Last Drive-In with Joe Bob is a fan. And this movie is so misunderstood. It was hated for decades. It almost ended the Halloween series. And, uh, and people were going, like, how dare you not include Michael Myers? What the hell is this? People were pissed. Um, but over time, all these aspects and the commentary of the piece and the brutal kills made this a cult classic. Not because it's so bad it's good kind of thing. There, there's just like a lot going on. Okay, the best logline I saw was, an apparent murder-suicide in a hospital emergency room leads to an investigation by the on-call doctor, which reveals a plot by an insane toy maker to kill as many people as possible during Halloween through an ancient Celtic ritual involving a stolen boulder from Stonehenge and Halloween masks. I thought oh that was the best coverage. <laughs> this movie, I, I have to say, in the in this rewatch, 
Um, and I think, yes, shout out to Darcy, the male girl. She inspired this podcast because she keeps insisting to Joe Bob on Last Drive-In that they should screen and comment on this movie. And he has yet to do it. He keeps teasing her about it. Why Every Halloween he do goes it? Away I mean, this have is... A, I don't know. Maybe they don't have... Maybe Shutter doesn't have the rights to it. I was trying to mm. think because they do have Halloween 1. They did the whole thing one year mm. where they covered Halloween, Halloween 4, and Halloween 5. And they have them on Shutter. Uh-huh. Darcy, you don't have to wait for Joe Bob to approve this. We're going to do it right here, we're right gonna, now, this Halloween. We're going to go to town on it. Good job. Um, so, gee, I want to ask you, do you remember? I mean, this movie came out in 82. I'm sure you don't remember the first time you saw it, but do you- I think my first memory of watching a Halloween movie comes from some sort of broadcast on TV, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because they feature that in this movie. Halloween one is playing on the TV in the movie multiple times. They play the commercial at a bar and then they have that scene where he's where it's playing that night. Right. Which and there's so, a whole meta commentary that we'll get to, but I, I didn't get that. We'll get to it. And there's yeah. a there's a there's a trivia tidbit about that, but we'll get to it later. Remind me of it about having Halloween within Halloween. Okay. So I kind of have a memory in Puerto Rico watching either Halloween one or two on TV. And I don't think they ever because Halloween three was such a box office bomb. I don't think they ever really had it on tv that much it was almost like let's forget Uh, this even happened yeah let's forget i think you had to seek it out and especially actually i just found out that it didn't screen in spain until 37 years later so basically until very very recently like a year ago wow a couple of years ago so this movie was like didn't do well at the box office everybody hated it it was a mistake and it pretty much killed the franchise i think um halloween 4 didn't come out and, and John Carpenter kind of walked away after this. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't come out until 1988. So five, six years went by before another Halloween movie was made, which was the return of Michael Myers. So it was, it, it has, is maligned by fans of the series, or it was, it was. But very, very, very recently, it's people having a moment. Are changing their minds. It's being, to quote, truth be told, on Apple TV Plus with Octavia Spencer, reconsidered. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think the first time I saw it, I had to go get it from, from the video store. But I want to say, I think I already knew its reputation Yeah. before I saw it. And then when, when um, was your last rewatch of this before this episode? Before for this? Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> We've never seen it. We've never seen it in the big screen, have we? No, no. you and I We've have never, not. Oh, that would be so cool. That would be really if fun. If see it in the big screen. Probably at least five years since the last time I saw it. But I used to see it regularly. And then, but I think the last time before this time was about mm-hmm. five years ago. I want to say probably on Blu-ray when it came out on a fabulous Blu-ray. When I saw it, you kind of think of it and the way people are telling you to think about it, at least at the time. Because going into it, you're thinking, oh, is this kind of a So Bad It's Good, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 thing? And no, it's not. There's a, a lot of social commentary and the cinematography is really great. The music is awesome. The script is is kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> and there's some- I mean, it is... It is a B movie at the end of the right, day. It is but, an awesome horror B movie. But it's a thoughtful B movie. My first word that came after I watched it last night was this movie is very prescient. Mm. It's like there's a lot of things that it brings up that we have become very relevant recently. And I think that's why it's ripe for a reconsideration or, or, or a revisit. Because I think what it was talking about at the time 
people were not ready to kind of see or discuss because it was in the middle of the 80s, you know, the height of Reaganism, capitalism, excess, Wall Street, all that stuff. And it's it's commenting on that mm-hmm. back then. But now we're seeing the horrific repercussions of the system that we're in. Gee, you're and so smart. There's a reason why you're a professor. <laughs> <laughs> you say smart words. <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's let's get right into it. This movie is actually produced by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who co-wrote and co-produced the original. And this, and so they okay. So Deborah Hill and John Carpenter co-wrote Halloween OG. Of course, John Carpenter directed it, and Deborah Hill. Um, produced it right so they're like a team and they also produced and co-wrote halloween 2 the hospital one mm-hmm. right but that was directed by rick rovenzall so it was um john carpenter's idea his idea was never to have multiple michael meyer movies he wanted already the halloween to be a different story that takes place in halloween he kind of wanted an anthology series again ahead of his time now we have american horror story we have american horror stories we have tons of series <laughs> like this so he had that idea back in the early 80s no one was interested so mm. they forced him the, the akkads right so this movie is owned or executive produced by mustafa akkad mm-hmm. or, and the akkad family yeah mustafa so they he really wanted, he's like, this movie was such a huge success that he wanted a sequel that would follow um, the OG. So he kind of forced John Carpenter to do a Halloween 2 with Michael Myers, but then kind of said, okay, but that's it. We're just going to do one more with Michael Myers. You will write it. You and Deborah will write it. You'll produce it. You'll do the music for it. We'll have someone else direct so it, have, and then like, we're done your with hand Michael in Myers. The pot. You're not completely involved, but you're not completely disassociated, right? Exactly. Kind of like what, Mar- so, what Ryan Murphy does with all of his stuff now, right? Exactly. So okay. he was—he wasn't. I guess the same way he's involved in the in the current movies, right? So he's the executive producer and the composer for the David Gordon Green, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis, um, twenty eighteen, and now the mm-hmm. sequel, Halloween Kills. So it's the same kind of involvement, I would say. Is it correct so, in, in assuming that he thought that this would start a spinoff of like, ah, fine, everybody wants you know a franchise, everybody wants to make money, but my my characters are done, the story has been told. How about we just do self-contained movies? Just like it's going to be a Halloween horror movie every year. Is is was that the goal with this movie? Yes, okay. that's exactly what that's what he wanted. Mm. So he only and we don't get what Mustafa, we want all the time. <laughs> yeah. So Mustafa wanted a sequel to to with Michael Myers, and so he gave him that. But then he said, "Okay, now we're doing what I want to do, which is move on to another story that's why the end of halloween 2 is pretty definitive right they blow up michael myers and dr loomis mm-hmm. laurie save and it's over it's supposed to be, it was that was supposed to be the end of it little did we know so then they were very excited okay now we're going to do a new halloween story and this is what we're going to do from now on and so and kind of like horror story because you'll notice that a lot of some of the actors in this are carpenter you know, regulars. We got Tom, Tom Atkins. Atkins the <laughs> yes, uh, Tom Atkins. We have Nancy Keys, aka Nancy Loomis, who played Annie. He plays um, Tom Atkins' wife in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the director of Halloween 3 is actually the production designer of Halloween 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. So he's a collaborator on uh, many Carpenter projects. Yeah. Tommy Lee Wallace. He was also married to Nancy. This is Tommy Lee Wallace's, I think is his directorial debut. And he, his only other job before that was to be a production designer for all of John Carpenter's movies, like Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, Halloween. And then I think he worked on Halloween 2 as well so he is a carpenter guy so of course he's still going to have the same feel also the cinematographer dean cundy is the same cinematographer as halloween Uh, one and two so that's why the the feel the production design the cinematography it's all the same people and then the music is Mm -hmm. by john carpenter he now uh, collaborated with ann howarth who then did all the score for i think halloween four and five and maybe six Mm -hmm. so he's the guy who kept doing the Halloween um, scores that John Carpenter was not involved in after this movie. Mm-hmm. So it is a Carpenter production and he produced it with Deborah's, right? Mm-hmm. So it is, it is them doing it, right? That's why it feels so much like him. But the interesting part about the script, so the movie's credited as written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, by the way, Tommy Lee Wallace went on to direct the first Stephen King adaptation of It in the 90s. You OG It. Oh! That's his, his, wow. his, his kind of the peak of his career. Also, another movie about a monster trying to kill some kids. The original screenplay for Halloween 3 was written by sci-fi writer Nigel Neal, who is known for the Quatermass series, which Carpenter kind of greatly admired. And I believe he wrote the screenplay for one of the Quatermass adaptations. Uh, Carpenter did. So Nigel Neal wrote the script and his script was not necessarily a horror script. It was more of a sci-fi thing. That was his deal. And so my understanding is that John Carpenter rewrote it mm-hmm. to make it more of a horror movie that would fit this whole Halloween anthology idea. Okay. Um, then um, Tommy Lee Wallace took what Carpenter had rewritten from, from Nigel mm-hmm. and did his own rewrite, did his own script of it. And that's the script that's used in the movie. What happened was that when Nigel Neal saw the movie, he hated it. He thought it was too gory and not totally not his brand or not his thing. Mm-hmm. He's a sci-fi writer mm-hmm. and he sued to have his name removed as a writer from the movie. After um, Nigel decided not to be involved or mm-hmm. his name be removed, mm-hmm. then Carpenter kind of decided that he didn't want his name on it either, oh. I think, just to give Tommy his moment. So Carpenter in the is, sun. A sci- is like a ghost. <laughs> yeah, his moment in the sun. And plus, Carpenter was the producer, so he's doing his producer thing, but he didn't want credit for the writing. But he did write. He, had, he was one of the three writers who mm-hmm. worked on it. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so Tommy Lee Wallace, this is his directorial debut. Before that, he was. John Carpenter's production designer, and he worked on Halloween and the Fog, and he's also the editor of both Halloween and the Fog. So he's like an editor slash production so designer. So he has a he has a great eye for this already, and it's a buddy helping another buddy out, is what I'm understanding. Because I mean, the fact yeah. that you said that he directed it in the the eighties that that just blew my mind because I thought that was so well crafted. So I thought that's interesting, like all these talented folks working together, and um, and John Carpenter just kind of. Let him have a moment to shine. But of course, at the time, yeah. like, oh, my God, what if what if your directorial d- debut, people are like, fuck this. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, wouldn't you go to a cave and hide and just be like, well, I'm going to be a tax accountant in Ohio or something for the rest of my life and never watch another movie again. Instead, this guy came back and and did really great stuff. And did it, yeah. Huh. He also directed the Friday night uh 
Sorry, Fright Night. <laughs> Friday Night Lights? I'm like, that's a jump. <laughs> Friday Night Part 2. The movie looks very, looks and feels very Carpenter because he is a very much a collaborator of Carpenter mm-hmm. up until this point. He knows and the so aesthetic, for sure. Yeah, he knows the aesthetic, and he's part of the creation of that aesthetic, yeah. especially the editing, which is very important, right? For sure. So as as you have helped Carpenter me. Editing. Guys, why, why we were on a hiatus, it's not because we're lazy fucks or anything. We were making a short horror-slash-comedy-slash-grindhouse film. Yes. Guillermo was my editor and producer. I was the writer and director. Jack is also in this, and, and a sound designer. And um, yeah, we, we were all jacks of all trades. Um so stay tuned to be released in a festival coming to you next year in 2022. So that's why we took a little break. We were busy, but now we're back. Yeah. <laughs> we have the opening of the film, which does a throwback to Halloween 1 and 2, where we have the epic openings with the pumpkin, and he's, he's lit. The original Halloween, the camera's going into the pumpkin, mm-hmm. closer and closer. And Halloween 2, it goes through the eyes so that the pumpkin kind of cracks open and it goes wow. through the pumpkin and reveals a skull. Mm-hmm. It's really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one, they kind of take a twist on that and create like a kind of computer, 80s computer oh generated pumpkin. It was, it was the <laughs> 1980s duck hunt <laughs> graphic. It was such a pixelated, lined Nintendo uh, recreation. And... And later, I realized, like, oh, we're watching the actual program come together, much like, you know, how a, how, how a Jack Leonard comes to be and also the symbolism of Michael Myers behind the pumpkin. We're watching this commercial that's going to ultimately wreak havoc upon America come to be in this opening sequence. We just don't know. We were just like, what are these shitty graphics? What is this? <laughs> Oh, so you're saying that this is like the whatever the the the, the commercial designer creating the graphics that are going to be that are going to create yes. the effect from the masks later yes. on on the children. This is the oh, I like that. The it's graphic like the designer from from Nintendo Industries just putting this shit together <laughs> to be like, look at this cool animation I made, <laughs> and it looks like Pong. It immediately sets you up in a in a world of monitors, of computers, of graphics, screens. This is computers, media, surveillance, and of course, good old capitalism. <laughs> but let's. Let's start at the beginning. Because I believe this movie is a commentary on capitalism Mm -hmm. in the middle of the 80s, but a commentary that we could not understand then, but we do now. I know. Capitalism was just beginning to find its stride in the 80s. You know, we were... Everybody was like, you know, listening to upbeat music and there were cocaine parties. Everybody was doing their hair big. It It was like a good time to be alive in America. Excess everything. And now, now we see... The repercussions of all of that, of consumerism and marketing to children and holiday extravaganzas and being more about the products than the actual celebration and the meaning behind it. It's, ooh. let's start from let's the beginning. Let's begin in Northern California. Which we're which not in Haddonfield anymore. I didn't yeah. realize until this recent rewatch. Like, we are in Northern California, and there's a guy running down the freeway, and and being a Halloween fan, you're thinking, is this a mental patient? That's where you first go. We have those beautiful white shots, carpenter white shots, and mm-hmm. music, and the Christine car following him. him. yeah. And there's that one scene, too, whenever the guy's running everywhere, and he... Um, 
Oh, the one of the the three piece suit hunters that's coming after this guy running down the street, and he's you know banging the agent on agent Smith. Yes, the agent again. Smith for sure. And uh, like the guy's knocking on the production trailers, it looks like, and then they're you know the classic car junkyard, and then the you know one of the agents starts strangling him, and it's like such a bizarre first kill of the movie of the mental patient slash guy running down the street. Um, kind of just unhooks a chain of a car sitting on a cinder block and it does this slow 0.05 miles per hour <laughs> slow crush he's very resourceful the way he figures out how to move the car with a chain and all of that yeah but you're right that slowness i mean i guess it's it's meant to kind of hint at the fact that these agent smiths Again, prescient movie, already The Matrix, mm-hmm. 20 years before The Matrix. They're mm-hmm. Agent Smiths in this movie. It's yep. amazing. Yep. Um, they don't react to the danger that's coming. So even though the guy is super terrible at trying to defend himself, the guy doesn't react to the car coming towards him, as which makes you see, oh, something is not right with right. these dudes. Right. These dudes in suits. <laughs> so yeah, and then they rip his head off in this very cold and calculated way. Yeah. Like this beheading. Is it, yeah. Is this it- beheading and blood spewing everywhere. And I think to me, what, well, because I've seen the movie before, when they behead him, it, it almost like they're treating him. Of course, we come to find out that these are essentially big toys or big mechanical beings, these Agent Smiths. So I think they treat him as. As you would treat a oh, mechanical robot. Yeah, assembly and disassembly. Um, yeah. Okay. Assemble- they disassemble him. I and I think that. that's why it's slow and robotic. And so when you think about it thematically later in a second watch, you're like, oh, okay, that's what they were doing. Right. To them, it's normal. There's nothing weird about it. But the first go around, you're like, what <laughs> in bizarro world is happening here? Um, so after that kill, we immediately go to like this gas station down the street, this really cool retro gas station. And then the guy is watching a documentary on Stonehenge. Stonehenge has the, 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 the piece of Stonehenge has disappeared. Mysteriously. Oh, that's what it is. And then it gets paid off. I never noticed that until this watch, I by the way. I didn't either. I was just like, <laughs> oh, they're foreshadowing that Stonehenge is going to be a thing in this. I was more taken uh, aback yes. and I didn't listen to it. Wow. Okay. Well, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> no, no, no. I, did, I didn't know. This is the first time. I've, I've seen this movie many times and I never realized that that was the setup for the twist at the very, very end of the movie. Wow. Um, I had no idea. To me, it was like, oh, whatever. The news are playing or something's playing, yeah. a documentary. But that's what I thought, too. And I was so like, wait, no, they say that it disappeared. How strange. So I wrote it down. Disappearance at Stonehenge. How strange. And then I realized, oh, shit, that's right. The Stonehenge gotcha. is at the end of the movie. Good catch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they they play like a little bit of the Stonehenge thing. And then the commercial for Silver Shamrock comes on. And then our mental patient guy runs to the, the gas station, starts pounding on it and creeps out the attendant. And um, he keeps saying, they're coming, they're coming. And he's clutching a mask. So we are, we know that he had, that's a clue. I think at this point, it's eight more days to Halloween. 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 So Catchy so as hell starts- jingle, by the way. There's a lot of power yes. in a catchy jingle. That's something else to take well, away from this. You movie. know what it is? Did you figure out what of it is? Of course, it's London Bridge. Come on. But you know why? Well, why, why they me, picked London okay. Bridge is falling down. I will. <laughs> okay. You probably have a very academic or very earth shattering reveal. My assumption is that it's because from what I know of the crown, 
<laughs> London Bridge being associated with Queen Elizabeth <laughs> about London Bridge falling. And I just thought it was, you know, to the tune of London Bridge is falling down, which is kind of like, oh, our government's failing. I, that's what I took. I think I really oh. overanalyzed this shit. No, no. I think this is part of your your, recons- your rewatch yeah. perspective. Well, it- why, why is I, it? Two things come to mind. Oh, it was literally because it was in the public domain and it was free. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's the only explanation. I actually think there's they could have picked something else. There's other things in the public domain. So they liked it and they but here's no, but it comes right after the Stonehenge thing. Uh-huh. So it's definitely connecting it to the UK in some way. Right. So. I like um, I like my bullshit over analytical <laughs> theory. No, no, better. but I think you're. I I think you're right. I think no. Well, I think, I think Nigel Neal is British. Nigel Neal, the guy oh, who Nigel. wrote the original script, that is British, like British. So, name. so Nigel is definitely commenting on his queen. So I don't think you're too crazy with your commentary. Hmm. That's the British part of this screenplay. Remember that the guy was British, and he has a screenplay where he references Stonehenge, has London Bridge is falling down. And it's about Irish people. This hey. movie, it has a whole other meaning when you realize well, that a British English, sci-fi author wrote it. It's the English commenting <laughs> that the Irish are bad. And I'm just going to say this. I, yep. I, I do have English and Irish and Scottish in me. I'm a very gingery person. So I could be very um, self-convoluted. <laughs> well, before we move on from the gas station, I immediately, because, you know, we live in racially heightened times and i usually now notice including with the new david gordon green movies mm-hmm. every time there's african-american actors in a movie so of course the gas station attendant is african-american is black mm-hmm. and then later on when they introduce um tom atkinson's character dr dan chalice um there's a couple of like black, black nurse mm-hmm. that he has a flirtation with so i just all in these movies, I do notice how minorities are represented nowadays. Well, especially the eighties. There was this whole, you know, people of color are uh, are just there to help and serve, which is a horrible but accepted trope of that time. And I think the new movie kind of does this. The Halloween twenty eighteen does the same thing too, where they have these like the black sheriff. I mean, he's a sheriff now, but they have all and then the little black kid. They don't have protagonists who are black. But they have these like interesting side characters. And one of them was this gas station who comes back at the end. So he's significant, right? The movie has a circular. It ends, it starts at the gas station and then it ends at the gas station. So these kids come up with their masks and they're singing the jingle. They're repeating the jingle, which we all did as kids. Like we would go around going hot pocket. And, you know, it's this commercialism that sticks with you and it goes to your, your daily Verbage. The earworm, the earworm jingle. Yeah, and um, so they're wearing their masks, and it's, you know, kind of a, they're pretty sick masks. Like, it's awesome 80s craftsmanship, like, instead of just, you know, cheap plastic stuff that's, you know, made in China for a nickel these days. Like, this is some real fun rubber masks. And um, and this brought me to, I remember as a kid, just being so hardcore marketed to, not even having a reflection about it. I remember at the time, because, you know, Back to the Future came out and Pizza Hut had mm-hmm. this great promotion of like, hey, you're going to get Marty McFly's neon pink and yellow geometric sunglasses if you get a personal pan pizza, like all this stuff. So they were really marketing to movie fans and kids especially. And the weirdest thing, I'm sure so many of our listeners had this at some point, 
the Garfield setup with <laughs> McDonald's. Not only there was the, the mm-hmm. plush Garfield with the suction cups that were on the cars everywhere, but McDonald's specifically had a Garfield hookup where you would get glass mugs. And I'm like, what kid needs a glass mug? But there, there's like <laughs> this set of four glass mugs of Garfield and Odie that you would just get. I don't think it like was coffee mugs. Yes. Co- <laughs> yes. And if you go to a thrift store, you will see them there. There's just like so many of them. But McDonald's is, you know, now it's marketed to a lot a, a wider demographic. But at the time, it was all about the Happy Meal and you get your Happy Meal toy. And, I remember that. Yeah. And I do believe either you got a glass mug for a dollar or something with your value meal or it came with the Happy Meal. I just I had so many glass mugs. I'm just thinking in general, like the 80s in general, there was always product placement mass and figurines that you could get and masks. The California raisins. And so... so one of the things that this movie is tackling is the commercialization of holidays, right? So we know Christmas, usually commercial holiday. Mm-hmm. It's all Black Friday leads into the buying of the gifts. And it's all about the kids, right? Oh, it's for the kids. We're going to buy mm-hmm. all these gifts. So it's, it's a, a capitalist setup that everyone partakes in. And one of the things that it does is that it makes not only for the children, but also the adults get to be kids again. And that's part of the trick. Okay. That this plays on you. I can so see So maybe that. this is this Garf explains this, this Garfield mug because it's, the, it's for the parents. So they, they buy the, the thing for the kids, but it's really for the parents. Like that could be a play there. Like I know there was a lot of this things of these things going on where the, where the infantilization of the parents as kids, they get to be kids again with oh, their kids. I really appreciate so. this, this sum up. I, I totally agree with that. We're, we're talking about consumer addiction as a whole too. <laughs> so we, we have the stores setting up, you know, displays months in advance. And back in the day, it was like, okay, it's Halloween. So you, you get that candy in, you know, October 1st. And now with the progression of time, like we're, we're reflecting our childhoods and how it is now. We, we hear people go, Oh man, really? Like, you know, it's not even Halloween yet. We have Christmas lights up in the store and they're playing the music. Like, let, let's get through two holidays before we get there, guys. You know, this is a fact right here. You can look it up. Um, it's a fact that dopamine, more dopamine is released in anticipation of a reward rather than when the reward is actually given. So mm-hmm. it goes off of the brain chemical. The stores want wow. you to anticipate happiness and reward. So they're giving you all this time to just get it. And then it comes and it goes and you're going to have to wait till next year till you get that feeling again. So, it's, so the anticipation of a holiday, of receiving gifts in the holiday, of receiving candy in that holiday, of getting dressed up for that holiday, all of that creates an addiction. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So, okay, now we're introduced to Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins is, of course, a Halloween favorite, as we pointed out before. Um, he is the skirt-chasing alcoholic doctor of the 80s. That's kind of like Tom Selleck wannabe. <laughs> uh, he's amazing. He's great. He's I love him. So he's just there, you know, doing his suave 80s womanizing doctor thing. And the guy from earlier that was pounding on the gas station, clutching the mask, saying they're going to kill us, he shows up at the hospital and he's like, they're going to kill us, still clutching the mask. And 
this doesn't bother Dr. Tom Atkins at all. He's like grabbing the nurse's ass. She's laughing it off. There's Agnes, nurse Agnes. Nurse Agnes <laughs> is not going to HR. This is her day to day, whatever. He's prescribing pills to the man. Like, he's, they're going to come after us. He's like, yeah, take some oxy. We don't care. Like, it is the 80s in full form. Nobody gives a shit. Um, and then one of the, the Matrix agents, <laughs> the, the well-dressed man comes to the hospital and he finishes the job. He kills the guy clutching the mask in this really brutal, slow way. Uh, he covers his mouth. He gouges out his eyes. It's a close-up. It's pretty intense. And, and then he cleans his gloved hands. Do you yeah, remember this? Yeah. Which I thought was so odd. It's like he, this, this, this machine or this ancient smith, the, to, to them, the glove is the hand and it wants to clean them. I thought that was so fascinating that he's cleaning the gloved hands. That, that's the whole point of having the gloves. Well, you know, okay, <laughs> so my overthinking, my overanalyzation is that is that by by doing that to the the mouth and the eyes it's like saying that we can absorb information and we can speak about the evils of everything oh. but what are we really doing like hence facebook and then he wipes his hands clean of you know like i have no moral qualms or conscience but you're going to tell me that the actor was a germaphobe or something that i'm looking too deep into this shit then he goes to the car and does this kind of funny death this funny self destruction he goes to the car and just blankly puts gasoline all over himself and lights himself up and then the car blows up i mean it's just like a very bizarre sequence it's this he's the i call it the suicide blow-up car well not really suicide because it's a robot but yeah and i think it, it sets up a mystery i think if you watch this for the first time you're like what the fuck is this are these suit guys and why are they blowing up wearing themselves up and why are they wiping their hands when they don't and need also, to are like, they only capable happening? of one murder at a time is it the johnson and johnson vaccine it's just like a one and done <laughs> like why <laughs> you almost did a spit take <laughs> i've always wanted to see somebody do a natural spit take you almost did one <laughs> <laughs> I held it in. I held it in. Um, yeah, and it's, it, and then we have Tom Hap, Tom Atkins running through the hallways. And everyone is in panic, um, and then he calls um, Nancy Loomis, aka Nancy Key. So, I, so this is a confusing part. The actress's name is Nancy Keys, but mm-hmm. she went by Nancy Loomis before this movie. Mm-hmm. She's actually married at this point in time to Tom Lee Wallace. She's the wife of the director, mm-hmm. and she played Annie Brackett in Halloween, right? And speed kills that Annie Brackett. <laughs> so then she, her role in this movie, she plays Tom Atkinson's ex-wife. She only appears in like one scene and then appears on the phone yelling at him at all times she's dressed very conservatively mm-hmm. and she's kind of like this housewife, even though she's an ex-wife and, and um, Tom. And then this is, she's the mother of his two kids and so forth. And there's that scene where he comes to bring the mask, but then she has the, the better, she's already bought the silver shamrock masks. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. And like, Oh, I already got them better masks. So I wonder if she's supposed to represent like that fifties housewife or now ex-wife because it's the eighties, seventies, eighties. That like is the kind of perfect consumer of this kind of capitalist excess. Oh, that's intriguing. I, t- I thought it was. I 
I, I like or the precursor that of that consumer, right? To me, I thought it was to soften the Tom Atkins character of like he's a womanizer and he can get away with all this shit, you know, just chasing some <laughs> skirts and doing this because Linda's a bitch. Like I just thought it was a hardcore. <laughs> she used to be slutty and now she had the kids and now she dresses from head to toe in business suits. Like what happened to her? Eh, this is why you cheat. Am I right, fellas? Like that's what I got from that. <laughs> It's such an 80s that thing. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Also, she plays Linda, which is the name of the other character in Halloween. So it gets very confusing. Yeah. Because <laughs> she played Annie and now she's Linda, who was the act- the character played by PJ Souls <sighs> in the other movie. So it, it's all very Halloween confusing at this point. <laughs> um but yeah, and so then there's that competition which is like, oh, I got the better masks for the kids. And she has the silver shamrock masks. Which have you as you very well said before they're the cooler masks they're Mm -hmm. definitely the masks you want they look very well made and not some cheap plastic shit this is like some like leather like rick baker (laughs) yes rick baker (laughs) yes Remember, like, back in the the 80s, the costumes were pretty insane just for Halloween. Like, I look back at my Polaroids, and, you know, I was like, oh, I had a little Rainbow Bright costume. And, you know, you would would try to make your costume, you know, instead of buying something. Um, What? Wait, I want to ask, what what was your favorite kid Halloween costume or even favorite adult Halloween costume? Um, My favorite kid was, was, I dressed up as Freddy Krueger, and this was in the 80s. Fitting, absolutely But the way I did it, I didn't do it the way you... I don't. I think I bought the sweater. I found a sweater that looked like you legit like, went out with your mom's and red knives on your hands. No. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I think I made. Yes, I think I made it. I made the glove myself. But here's the cool part: I did the the burnt makeup using cornflake and peanut butter. <gasps> that sounds delicious. So I had the and whole. Scary I, at the I don't same have time. pictures of this, but it was really it was all homemade. And it was awesome, and I had the somehow I found the hat. I guess I bought it somewhere, but I remember applying the cornflake slash peanut butter thing on my face and it looked like my burned skin oh i was like a little God. boy freddy krueger that's <laughs> so creative i love that wow that's my that's my favorite that i remember i'm sure there were others but my that's favorite I always remember because it was labor intensive on the face i bet but what an easy sell to wash it off just get like a dog to come over and lick your face or just wash your face um my favorite as an adult in my 20s Poor, 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 broke, 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 living in a studio apartment with two people. <laughs> and I went as Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. I had no money, <gasps> no money. I yanked down the moldy, dirty-ass shower curtain and put purple makeup on, made my hair wet, and walked around. <gasps> you told me about... That's amazing. That's the best. Oh, my God. I love it. All right, let's talk about the daughter of, of the dead guy in the hospital clutching the mask. Yes, so the daughter, her name is Ellie, and I, she had a really funky last name, but I, I didn't write it down. Grub something. Ellie Grimbridge. <laughs> Ellie Grimbridge shows up. Ellie, Ellie Grimbridge something. shows up at the hospital after her father has passed away. And of course, we just have to point out, because we talked about Nurse Agnes, that, you know, Atkins throughout this whole movie is super flirty with everyone and handsy as fuck, something that would get him in jail. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Tom Atkins. He can get away with it. So she comes up and she's like, what happened to my father? And the cops don't know anything. And something else I noticed about this movie, they keep blazing at the bottom of the screen, the date, the countdown of like, hey. like So in, in addition to the slow, brutal kills, we're also 
constantly reminded through the audio of two more days till Halloween. And, and then the sub, the text at the bottom of the screen of like, it is October 28th. It's October 29th. Like we had this slow build, but also I, I brought it to how technology is for us now. Um, like you look at your iPhone and said, on this day, three years ago, you were doing this. You're like, oh shit, I don't even remember what I was doing a month ago. Okay, I did that with this person. Do we even speak anymore? Oh, okay. Technology is replacing your sense of memory. Yes. It's it's remembering for you. It's keeping media for you. It's keeping pictures for you. It's keeping videos for you. So instead of you remembering what you saw, you remember the video that you recorded or you remember the picture that you took. Oh, and this so happens chilling. a lot. Our memories. Our memories are all fucked up because sometimes we have a childhood memory that's really a picture we saw and we created a whole movie around it. Mm. So well, that's, that's one of the, I mean, this is one of the themes of this movie, media replacing what's human, right? Right. The mechanization of humanity. Oh. So, you know, it's media is one of the ways we replace things that we remember. So good point. Good point. Well, you executed that beautifully. <laughs> You have, I'm on a roll today. You are, gee, Jesus Christ. I want to do lectures on Halloween. Three. I know. I'm this like, is all I want in life. I'm like, is he taking the pill from uh, what's the Bradley Cooper movie, Limitless? I'm like, are you taking the pill for Limitless? <laughs> like, you're you're on fire. Um, through the timestamps of it's this day leading up to Halloween. The next scene, the the text at the bottom of the screen says it's the 29th. The countdown is getting faster. I put that when Tom's at the bar watching the TV. He's at the drawing room. He is at the drawing yes. room. Oh my god! I wrote, "Is that the drawing room? <laughs> is it?" Oh I, my god! I, I I went crazy when I. Saw I think this scene. is just <laughs> our weird heads. I mean, I loved it. I'm like, yeah, I've spent some Thanksgivings at the drawing rooms. They were the best times. <laughs> um, guys, if you live in LA and you don't know the drawing room, it's in Los Feliz in a plaza. It's fantastic. It's really, really yes, shitty. and it looks exactly like the bar in this movie. So. So uh, um, so then that's when he's watching the movie and then we see Halloween play for the first time at the drawing room and they do this cheeky movie within the movie thing, which I think is so impressive for the 80s. It's already building on that meta commentary. And then the Shamrock commercial comes on again. Exactly. And it's kind of commenting on the franchise's own commercialism right so a movie franchise is known for capitalizing on the success of an original movie they proliferate all these sequels to just keep making more money and create a sense of anticipation from sequel to sequel so you create people it's the same thing a movie is an event it's like a holiday i mean literally in this case it's called halloween the movie has the name of a holiday Mm -hmm. and it's i mean it's proven to be successful because we just have a new Halloween movie that just came out last week called Halloween Kills. So 40-something years later, wow. we're still getting Halloween movies. <laughs> right. And, and also, I feel like so this the is... The drug is strong. <laughs> I feel like this is the the nugget that's planted for Scream. I have no idea if this is Kevin Williamson's you know, inspiration or if he watched this and thought, hey, what if? But in a way, this is the first meta slasher a meta horror film before Wes Craven very famously did it in Wes Craven's New Nightmare first and then with Kevin Williamson in the Scream series mm-hmm. but Halloween 3 is really the, the first instance of of meta horror because you have a sequel having the original as a movie that exists within the universe mm-hmm. of that movie so it's and so commenting it's almost on saying, it in real time yeah yes it's yeah. commenting on the fact that it's a commercial product just mm-hmm. like the masks in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's commenting on the fact that this movie does not take place in the same universe 
as Halloween one and two, but it's outside of it. So meaning it takes place in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. So it's already kind of he's doing a Wes Craven's new nightmare thing. So then he meets with Ellie, whatever her last name Ellie, was. Ellie Ellie Grabass at the drawing <laughs> room. Ellie Grabass. <laughs> Ellie Grabass at the at the drawing room. And then um, he admits course, he admits that he was freaked out by her dad, which you know Tom is not the the biggest professional here. I, I don't think I want him as my doctor or as a, a love interest, maybe a drinking buddy. Um, but yeah, he's like, oh yeah, she. He said that they're going to kill us all and and everything. And then they go to the hardware store, which is a commentary on going to Halloween and picking out the mask for Michael Myers. They're kind of looking around. Oh, but that's but that's interesting because. Oh, wow. I just had a mind-blowing moment. What? So Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the production designer on Halloween, was tasked to find the mask of Michael Myers, and he had like a couple of hours to do so. Because <gasps> Halloween was such a low-budget movie. They're like, you need a, we need a mask for this. Go get it. And he went to Hollywood Boulevard, and he got the Captain Kirk mask from Star Trek, cut its eyes out, and spray-painted it white, and stretched it, and went back to set. Wow. So literally... The Myers mask is a product just like the products that he's using, the masks that he's using in this movie, the commercial products for the movie Star Trek. Sold on one of those cheeky, what do you call those? Those gift shop um, stores on Hollywood Boulevard. So Michael Myers himself as 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 a character, as a, as a figure comes out of what he's talking about in this movie which fits the fact that it exists in the real world and not in the world of Halloween 1 and 2. The plot of this movie, and this is the big point that, I'm, that I want to make, um, these two people come together, these kind of philandering doctor, Hansi Grabby, <laughs> and little young Ellie um, come together to try to find what happened to the dad and what what led to his death and who are these weird people that blow up their own cars and so forth. So when they went to this store, it immediately reminded me of Psycho. And I was like, wait a minute, this resembles the plot, the second half of Psycho, when after Janet Lee has died, um, Loomis, Sam Loomis, that's the name of the character, and that's why Dr. Loomis is named after him, Mm -hmm. Sam Loomis and... um, Janet Lee's character was Marion mm-hmm. and her sister's name was um, Lila. So Lila Crane and Sam Loomis are trying to figure out what happened to Marion Crane, a.k.a. Janet Lee. And then all of a sudden my head exploded because, as you know, <laughs> Janet Lee is the mother of Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. We got the Loomis. We got everything. And then Dr. they go to a motel in the next scene. Like, it's yes, it, it becomes. And then I'm going to blow it even whoa. further. I'm going to blow it even further. Okay. Because... After Tom and little Ellie Grabass <laughs> decide to go off in their Oldsmobile, you know, looking for clues, they go to uh, the town. They go to Santa Mira, which is the setup of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it just becomes yes. like boom, 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 boom. And to go to your psycho reference, like the weird Irish innkeeper is there and shows them around the motel. And she, she asks specifically about the, the shower. So, yes, in this one moment, oh, we just blow it's up psycho. all these movies. <laughs> so then a lot of people consider Halloween like the, the, the so the first slasher is considered to be psycho. And then Halloween is kind of like literally the 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 offspring of psycho, including having Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Lee's daughter in it. Mm-hmm. And then this movie kind of brings it all back. Here's the weird part. It gets deep. 
Because Psycho is all about mummy issues, right? Norman Bates, mother, his mother. But this one is a daddy issue psycho. It's about this daughter trying to figure out what happened to her dad and has daddy issues by hooking up with daddy, daddy, Dr. Daddy Atkins. (laughs) Daddy, daddy, Dr. Daddy Atkins. (laughs) Right? And so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not about mother. It's about father. Right. And as we know, the movie leads us to Cochrane later on, which is the father of commercial the, the father cock masks. if you will <laughs> the father cock so in- you know whenever whenever they go to the the motel when we have like this tom arnold peg bundy couple that are there like hunting around the motel and they do like you yes, know the, yes. the norman bates references and all that they um we kind of are introduced to the silver shamrock town of santa mira once again another movie reference they do the town that dreaded sundown vibe with mm-hmm. kind of those shots and and that the the curfew being announced over the factory speakers of like it's six o'clock curfew is in effect and all this other stuff and you know who the announcer is Yes, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee. Um, layers upon layers, layers upon layers. Upon layers. And then in my rewatch, I'm like, well, this is the purge. <laughs> yes, with you all know? the camera and the surveillance and the like street corners. And you don't know who to so trust. Forth. Everybody's kind of creepy. Yeah, I went to the purge. Okay, so the town is in lockdown. The town's in lockdown. Jamie Lee Curtis announces the purge is coming yes. or the purge curfew, <laughs> right? And then. Um, we also meet this character that is this woman who has some sort of business deal, like buying in bulk from the factory, and mm-hmm. she kind of looks like um, Sherilyn Fenn looks like. Yeah, <laughs> Sherilyn Fenn look like. She had this uh, this Avon lady vibe, which is super popular in the eighties of being, you know, under the guise. You know, I mean, Ponzi schemes are still a big thing, but in the eighties they had a moment, and so this kind of reminded me of like your local Mary Kay or or. Avon lady or Tupperware lady of just like, I believe I'm a self-starter. This is my business. And in real life, you're a sucker like the rest. Again, it's it's the evolution of the 50s housewife that we saw a little bit in, 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 the, in the ex-wife of Tom mm-hmm. Atkins turned into the shoulder pad businesswoman, sisters doing it for themselves, nine right. to five, Dolly Parton thing. Right. But again, it's an illusion because yeah. it's still part of that commercial. They're using these women who want to be independent. A thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. They're using them to, as pawns in a Ponzi scheme, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this happened. I remember this in the 80s a lot happening in Puerto Rico in my neighborhood. All these women mixed up in not only Avon, there were even worse things that like that. Amway. Have you heard of Amway? No. There's something called Amway, okay. and it was a pyramid scheme thing, and they would have meetings and try to get more people to sell. Like the same thing. I mean, all those pyramid well, schemes. Well, are now the same, it's but... all about Herbalife and LuLaRoe, the leggings. There's a documentary on Amazon. Oh, about it. I heard about this. It's pretty good. Yeah. But it, it just, yeah, it's just dressed up differently. There's always going to be that same multi-level marketing scheme, and it is marketed to women, which we'll get even more into because you know. Right now, this movie is about kids and later it kind of develops into like, okay, next up from kids, we're going to market to women. You know, that's going to be our bigger audience. This theme of this movie is, I mean, this is why we called it Capitalism's a Bitch. It is a very elaborate commentary on capitalists or a capitalist society and what it does to women, what it does to children, what it does to families, what it does to gender roles, what it does to towns so one of the things that came up now that we're in this part where they show kind of like the the town going into curfew when we were wa- i was watching this with jim actually and he 
we had a pause moment because one of the things that ha- and we watched this like small video documentary on this one of the things that has happened post pandemic is that um a lot of people are working from home it's called the zoom whatever the zoom workers or the zoom generation they've moved into small towns mm-hmm. and this one documentary was about a, a town called Crested Butte in Colorado since oh, you know all about Colorado I do know that area do yeah. you know about Crested Butte so what what has happened to this town is that all of these new york remote workers have decided to leave new york during the pandemic they moved into this town they come with a lot of money they buy all the real estate and some people even buy that it made it really like a yuppie popular place Mm -hmm. so it's this little town that became all of a sudden as expensive as new york it's kind Mm -hmm. of psycho bananas like the houses cost millions and millions of dollars and they're not that big so what capitalism creates is that eventually it pushes out all humans yeah. And the only people that remain is the corporate magnet who owns the corporation, the Zuckerberg above and a bunch of fucking robots who do all the jobs. True. This is, this is what this movie is saying. Bring it on. We're going to kill G. the, I mean, he's literally killing the children, the future of humanity through, you know, products and capitalists, right. Overtaking. Mm-hmm to basically have no one else other than himself and a bunch of machines. The idea is that these corporations, they are basically slowly getting rid of humans because everything that humans do gets replaced by technology. And eventually, and serving what? The one, the CEO of that company, the Jeff Bezos, the Mark Zuckerberg, the <laughs> Elon Musk. So um, Avon Lady goes and stays in the adjacent hotel room right yeah what you're thinking oh they're gonna be screwing all night you're gonna start pounding on that wall atkins has it in for her daughter looking for daddy (laughs) (laughs) and that scene is hilarious where he's like offering oh should i get another room is it okay yeah (laughs) she's like no what (laughs) i know i can sleep on the couch (laughs) is that what you really want oh yeah So, so I was reading about this because it's true that Atkins kind of plays these roles. He plays, you know, he gets dominated by the women. Like um, in The Fog, Jamie Lee Curtis is the one who picks up Atkins and asks him to sleep with him. So you remember how she's hitchhiking and he picks her up and he's like, you could be a scary person. So they do that role reversal. Uh We got Ellie Grabass saying, hey. I'm going to be in this hotel. And she has her 80s teddy on. Which So in the next thing, so the, the Avon lady's in the next room. And then Ellie has her teddy on. It's very 80s, Rhonda up all night energy. You know, they were doing their <laughs> yes. thing. And then, and then the Silver Shamrock commercial comes on. And then Tom is not in the mood, which I get it. I fucking hate commercials. And I love how <laughs> it kind of, it just jumps on this. of like commercials are such a joke. And now we have streaming services where you have to pay extra, which I I do. I don't know if you do. I pay extra to not. Oh, I don't want to deal with the com- right? I hate commercials. Why do I have to pay extra for you not to come into my home and annoy me? My my subscription should be cheaper. Like I don't want to pay for my time to be ruined. Like why do I have to pay more to not be marketed to? It's such a bullshit. Theory. Especially when they're making all this money on the from yeah. the commercials themselves. So why is it not? It's the other because way otherwise. 
otherwise commercials are dead because nobody wants to if you pay for, for a things. subscription who wants to do a commercial Atkins and Ellie have their sexy time um, I read that the actress who plays Ellie does not show this to her children because she doesn't like that tit sucking scene Oh, she feels very embarrassed about it even though it was, I felt like it was very PG-13 I know. but you know what it is a very going back to our psycho themes it oh. is a very mommy kind of moment because I thought it was it was an odd choice, the sex scene. You, you could have done so many different sex scenes. You, like you said, it's all set up, you know, Ronda, lingerie up all night. Listeners, we have Guillermo curtain. shaking his shoulders <laughs> in a very burlesque, <laughs> seductive fashion, just so you get the imagery. <laughs> Though she has her, her 80s lingerie and she like oh, wraps herself in the blanket and everything yeah. and it goes... And that's the reveal, which is a very 80s comedy so 80s, thing. Yeah. Um, but then, so the sex scene is just this t- sucking one tit. Oh. And then it cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very much, you know, breastfeeding, a breastfeeding moment. I get so, that. And the infantilization of adults once again. Boom. Bring going back to the womb, motherfuckers. <laughs> Okay, wait. So we we gotta go to the um, the woman. She's like digging at her chip, her little silver shamrock chip. There's a barcode on it. Which back in the '80s, we were all like fearful of everything Orwell taught us of like we're gonna eventually have tattoos of barcodes on our skin, and that's how the government will track us. The devil's mark, the beast's mark. Yeah. and that all became cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Like the government right? is tracking That's you. where cell phones are today. Yeah. You know, where we are at all times. This is where we start hinting at even more bizarro land. So the woman's like at the chip and and then this blue electric current shoots from her face very masters of laser beam yeah (laughs) it was very masters of the universe like just coming from her face and it's hilarious and weird and scary and then and then we hear the the scream and then like the 80s titty sucking scenes like happening and tom and she's like oh what was that did you hear that he's like who cares you know Doesn't, Typical top. Doesn't get Typical Atkins. And then, and then we see the close up of her face, and it's like this puppet corpse face with spiders and all this stuff coming out of it, and it's like really disturbing. And then to take away this woman's corpse is like here we get the introduction of Mister Cochran. Let's white van yes. pulls up, and they're like, "Oh, Mister Cochran's got this. He's taking care of it." And like we see Tom, and his face goes, you know, we have so many questions about this. What's happening? The reveal of Cochran, because he's just up in like a limo, right? Like a, a black limo shows up. And oh, so it's the white the van that takes her away. So the white van, the white van is like the ambulance type. Well, it's not really an ambulance. It's like a factory. Um, it's the Ray Donovan thing. Like they come and they yeah. make it go away. Exactly. So, the, but it has the silver shamrock right symbol on the side because it's a company. So they come van. and take. <laughs> Away, ever lady who's been laser blasted by the. Do you know what those um, chips looks like? It's the kind of thing that they put on clothes so you can't steal from them. Oh, the security tags. Do you know? Yeah, the security tags that have to be removed. That's what it reminded me of. I just thought they look like casino chips. So it could be a hybrid of the two. That's interesting. Oh, I always think of like oh when you go, but these ones remain. So again, it's it's a mode of of tracking. I think that's what I kept thinking. Oh, it's tracking you because. 
not only is there a chip in there, but it's the thing that tracks the clothes in a store. So why did they choose to kill her at that time? Why did this beam come out of her face at this time? She was just like scratching at it. So I think she was fit. Well, they do say the, the, the agent Smith's tell Cochran in that scene. They're like, there was a malfunction or there was like, Oh, that was not supposed to happen. (laughs) Her Samsung blew up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what's supposed to happen when the chip syncs up with the commercial at 9 p.m., which is the whole thing that it's leading up to. Oh, so to. she was so a test subject. That, yes. No, she was not a test subject. She just fucked with it. She was. Oh. Remember, she took a pin from her head uh-huh. and started fucking with it. So she just made it. She activated it preemptively. Huh. That's what happened. That's the way I understood it to happen because oh. she was fucking with it. Okay. So it went, that was not supposed to happen at she that moment. She could be the symbol of, a, of being an anarchist. Yes, she's like, I have to do it my way. So apparently, there was in an interview, they asked somebody, well, so how does this work again? There's this laser that comes out of this ship and then like burns your face and then like snakes and spiders come out of it. It's like, what, what, what's going on there? And, he, and his answer was like, it's magic, man. It's magic. <laughs> and that's all he said. <laughs> this is magic. I was like, okay. I, I have a follow-up <laughs> to that later on in the script because I'm like, young screenwriters, if you are just banging your head against the wall in search of exposition, you can throw it away in a line. It happens a lot in this script. (laughs) (laughs) It's magic, man. I want to talk about Cochran for a hot second. Because did you know who this is? Did you recognize Cochran the actor? I know my RoboCop. Yes, I know him. No, more than that. Yeah, he's in RoboCop. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but he's also, the actor's name is Dan O'Hurley. Can you say that with an Irish with accent, and, please? I'm sorry. So, Cochran, I cannot do an Irish accent. I am no, I'm sorry. I just want your I'm Puerto Rican accent with I'm an bad. Irish accent. That's all I wanted. Okay. okay. So, Cochran is played by Dan O'Hurley. I don't know. I can't do it, Jennifer. I can't. Do it. Thank you for your attempt. Thank you. <laughs> so, Cochran is played by Irish actor Dan O'Hurley who happens to be Andrew Packard from Twin Peaks. Oh, that's, no, I do know that. I remember <laughs> looking at his face watching this and going, oh, have I seen him in the Black Lodge? What, what is his face? So remind me which character he was in Twin Peaks. So he's Andrew Packard. He's Josie's husband Josie's who has husband. supposedly died yes. in the boating explosion and then is revealed to be alive, right? And he's kind of like the person who used to own the mill what if and the lynchian peaks universe everything at the mill is the shadow of the silver shamrock exactly where stonehenge exactly. was and that's where time warps are so therefore that's why everybody can go back and forth in time 25 years just saying fan fiction somebody write it the next thing that happens is they go visit the factory the next day right and then yeah they go on this little factory tour which I thought and was... They go on the tour and they see the final processing where you cannot go in. So here's where it gets very interesting and, and another layer is introduced. So I believe that this whole final processing concept that Andrew Parker from Twin Peaks, a.k.a. Cochran, introduces is a huge kind of allegory for the final solution, which was the Nazis... So I think this is where the Jewish Holocaust imagery gets introduced into the movie. Hmm. 
And so final processing, I think, is directly referencing that. So this is already hinting at the insidious and nefarious intent Ooh. of Cochrane. Okay. The Agent Smiths now become an allegory for basically the, the Aryan race, the, the everybody white, everybody male. Wow. Like, no, you go down that hole. But wow. then at the same time, I was thinking, oh, my God, this little British author who seems very racist against Irish <laughs> has turned the Irish into Nazis. Oh, we just like potatoes <laughs> That's and really whiskey, guys. Up. We don't want to hurt anybody. We'll get in a bar fight. We don't, we don't have the planning to do anything like that. <laughs> We're very impulsive people. Wow. So we went from the Packard sawmill to Auschwitz. In Jeez. one scene. Okay. It's dark. It gets dark from here. Cochran and Buddy, like, they offer a tour of the factory to Tom and the daughter, right? So... And the family, yeah. They all and, go to... And the weird they, family, the, the, yeah. So the, the tour was supposed to be for the family, the salesman's family, but they just kind of... Um, Atkins and... Ellie Grabass kind of just snuck in and went with them. Okay. <laughs> they just kind of went happens. along for the ride. They're just <laughs> like, oh, we need things to do here in Northern California. This looks fun. So they go on this little factory tour and we see this gift shop of novelties, these little creepy tchotchkes and it kind of cements this capitalist slash Willy Wonka dimension. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's just, he's Jeff Bezos. This is the Amazon warehouse. He's, you know, <laughs> yes. playing with people. And, and they make jokes. They're just like, oh, he's the king of sticky toilet paper and fake poo. Like, he's somebody not to be really taken seriously, yet he's this evil mastermind. A strange character setup, but this is what he is and so we see the military people they're unpacking boxes and and at the same time there's people in lab coats walking around and and then there's mutterings of he's the richest man in the country just a really strange setup in this scene Mm -hmm. so so then here's where this movie gets nuts okay listeners and the the third act Tom and the daughter are lurking around this Amazon warehouse and they get kidnapped. Like the, the daughter gets kidnapped and then Tom's running around. Like, am I right? Am I right in this? Uh... So, yes. So I, if I remember correctly, the daughter sees her dad's car, okay. her father's car, it was like in some garage. And basically this confirms that he had been there and that his car had take, been taken away. And so she runs up to the car and the agent Smith kind of block her. And this is, and then of course there's surveillance, the cameras are everywhere. And then Cochran notices what's up. So after this happens, it's kind of like, well, we can't really let you go. You already know what's up. So she's kidnapped. Um, the agent Smiths are hunting down Tom and, mm-hmm. and he's creeping around the Bezos Wonka factory. And here's another really strange but effective scare. Um, and going back to your psycho reference, we have the Whistler's mother slash Norman Bates's mother, animatronic. <gasps> yes. Right? The knitting woman robot. Yeah, yes. So, so she, this is amazing. Knitting. And then her head pops off and you gasp 
because like I, I said, whenever I was a kid and reading all these like little scary books, the scariest thing that could happen is not that you get killed. It's like seeing somebody's head fall off. There are all those stories about girls that would wear a scarf or a ribbon around her neck and somebody would try to, you know, unfold the ribbon or scarf and then their head would just roll off. I, that, that always stayed with me as a kid. It was like such an 80s strange theme that stuck with me. So you see... Norman Bates slash Whistler's mother animatronic knitting and then he budges her and then the head falls off a lot of decapitation in this movie by the way just kind of thinking about it Um, so she's a robot and then we have the piano keys and the Michael Myers kind of Halloween theme it's reminiscent but different Um, we go to Tom going to the basement of this freak show and there's a lot of scientists conducting experiments on a slab from Stonehenge. Yes. <laughs> like you do. So I remember, so this is the exposition moment that I talked about when you were saying like, oh, hey, it's magic. Here are all these guys in lab coats and they're just staring at this rock and electricity is happening. And, and they confirmed, they're like, yes, it is made by ancient aliens. And then there's all these black and white TVs around the scientists as they're talking about alien technology. And I thought, okay, well, this is ironic. This is weird. And then they talk about the sacrificial circle of Stonehenge. So now we're going to witchcraft and not alien in town like it's it's about the witches because this entire movie i remember as a kid thinking when are these goddamn witches gonna show up and it turns out that the scientists are the witches kind of manipulating magic or maybe the aliens are witches anyways it goes to like some weird thing about sorcery and celtic powers and this sacrificial circle whatever the line but technically it's technically warlocks i was reading about oh, this I am there's so no sorry. witches <laughs> i am so sorry to be not pc i am not no no no, no. I know. It, it's <laughs> the funny thing is that the movie gets it wrong it's called season of the witch when it's really about these warlocks but you know gender aside <laughs> so you're saying it does not hold up in our pc times they need to be the season oh of the it does not <laughs> it should be warlocks and it's basically computer programmers and a medium. It's all mixed in, right? So it mixes in, like you said, it mixes in some sort of alien conspiracy Area 51 situation. Then there's these computer programmers slash robots that are robots themselves who are also warlock witches, aliens. It's just what the... It's all one. <laughs> Somehow. I was just thinking, if you're a computer programmer and a robot, is that kind of like the equivalent to a human doctor? Like, <laughs> you can yes. kill yourself. <laughs> and the lap coats, I guess. There you are. <laughs> so, robot doctor it is. Um, so then they're talking about uh, the sacrificial circle and aliens, and they're going about Stonehenge, and here's the line of dialogue that just that just had me rolling. Tom is genuinely like the audience interested of what the hell Stonehenge has all these mystic properties. I mean, we heard the urban legends, but here we are. And this one guy says, I'm going to get it right. This one guy says, Oh yeah, we had a time getting it here. You wouldn't believe how we did it. And then they go on with their (laughs) silly little factory tour. No, I want to know how you fucking got it there. How did you get this mystic? (laughs) <laughs> two-ton slab from the UK into this basement in Northern California. I want that story. 
Oh, I thought of David Copperfield for some reason. It's like he made it disappear, made it appear. It's magic. <laughs> it's magic. It's magic Just like Tommy Wallace said, it's, it's magic. magic. <laughs> so, oh, good God. So then, just to sum up the crux of this movie now, the particles from Stonehenge are put into the masks with the end mm-hmm. goal being witchcraft will conjure snakes and spiders and whatever else who is wearing this mask on Halloween when this commercial hits. Just so that mm-hmm. they're... At 9 p.m. At 9 p.m. Oh, at 9 p.m. So that their head will vaporize into the creepy crawlies. So it's building mm-hmm. to the demonstration. And... And I started thinking about the masks themselves. Like we have a pumpkin, a skeleton, and a witch. Whenever we're talking about the warlocks and the witches and this Celtic sacrificial circle as Stonehenge, all these things, I was brought to this time in the 80s. Do you remember the whole satanic panic that happened? Mm -hmm. I really felt that this was a commentary on that and the satanic panic was not at its height in 82. So again, this movie is a little prophetic. So guys, see the satanic panic thing, silly Jesse Raphael and Maury, all these people besides Oprah would be obsessed with finding these teenagers dressed in black and wearing, you know, everybody was just convinced that teenagers wearing black listening to Depeche Mode would kill their children it was such a weird thing to be concerned about and i think this movie kind of hinted at that the goth kids were being accused of being part of some satanic cults because they were I not mean, I guess it, because they weren't conforming because <clears throat> they weren't conforming yeah. and i guess it comes a little bit it's a conflation of um teenage rebellion in the 80s and and kids using everyone using drugs and like the Manson murders and the Manson girls being part of a like I think it's just some weird with adults who lived through the Manson thing in the sixties. Oh, they were fearful that com- their teenagers their teenagers would turn into that. Yeah, we'll turn okay. it. We would join some sort of cult. So because people are not conforming and rebelling and using clothing and makeup and all that and kind of Halloween type makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to 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 show their discontent or their rebellion. Then they started creating this idea that there were satanic cults and weird things. It's the same thing. They remember they started accusing um, later on, like heavy metal music and so forth. It's conjuring. Sure. If you played it backwards, it's the devil talking right. and all that stuff. Like why? Um, so, so conspiracy theories have always been a thing, especially in America. The idea that it's it pits people against each other, and yeah. that's make me bring to today how. Mm. You know, social media, Quainon, all the bullshit that's going on nowadays. It's all about polarizing society. Right. You're either A or B, C or D, black or white, mm-hmm. Republican or Democrat. Mm. You're leaving crazy Quainon or not, vax or anti-vax. Mm-hmm. It's all these like two things. And then it eliminates the beauty, the beautiful grayness of human life. That's what capitalism has created is you get one thing or another you know coke or pepsi right there's always two rival companies two options not five or ten in this part the other the other big point that's that's going on not only on top of you know capitalism and selling to children and the genocide because essentially this is all leading to a genocide of all children everywhere who are wearing these masks right so millions are going to die um, and that's why I connected to the Holocaust because it's a form of genocide. Mm-hmm. But it's also 
this theme of surveillance and media manipulation and this test room A where they put the family. Yeah. I thought they, it was very they put interesting. Salesman Buddy, his weird wife and the kid with the pumpkin mask, they put him in a testing room, which, hey, focus groups, you know. And and while he's doing that, he's talking about numbers. Like we're hearing about, you know, it kind of it's reminiscent of the Nielsen ratings. Yes. Yeah. And this is again 1950s nuclear family sitting in a living room around the TV. And again, all all of that's that's coming to a head in the 80s, which is this idea that the TV is the center of of our lives, mm-hmm. which now the TV has become the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Is the thing that continues to sell to you, to play commercials for you, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The, mm-hmm. the 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 media that's supposed to give you entertainment or information, it's actually trying to control your choices mm-hmm. and to make money, to ma- literally make you the product, mm-hmm. to make you money out of you, right? right? So, one interesting thing about this movie that I thought was funny, because capitalism is supposed to profit out of people, right? And so, but in this movie. <laughs> The media mogul is killing all his consumers. <laughs> and he has this line, it's a joke on the children. <laughs> and I was just like, what? So his entire goal is to kill his own customers? <laughs> <laughs> the that first so troll is Cochrane. Cochrane presciently predicted the income of the troll. He just wants to troll the whole world and say, ha ha ha, trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious. It's like really, really funny to me. So let's talk about the testing room, what you were saying about the 1950s reminiscence. Because it's true, the the weird wife says like, oh, don't stand too close to the TV. You're going to ruin your eyes. And the kid does this really weird assume the position thing at the TV. He doesn't sit down. He like hunches over and puts his hands on his knees like he's doing a, a football stance mm-hmm. with a pumpkin on i'm like what what kid watches tv that way it's so bizarre um so ironically he's not going to ruin his eyes he's going to ruin his entire head because he's watching the silver shamrock testing commercial and his head vaporizes yep. into bucks did you spill something this sequence with the nuclear family and the kid when they say that line don't get too close to the or it'll ruin your eyes that's a line from poltergeist Poltergeist came out the same year oh. and it came out only so Poltergeist came out on June 4th, 1982. And this movie came out on October 22nd, 1982, mm-hmm. just a few months later. Mm-hmm. And I have find fascinating that there are two films. They couldn't, he, the people who were making this movie could not have seen Poltergeist. There's no, because they were kind of making the movies at the same but they time. They are echoing the same right? theme. They are absolutely exactly. echoing the same thing. Yes. And literally the TV kind of sucks in the child. And this scene is almost like the poltergeist scene in this movie, right? I felt a, a poltergeist vibe. But in my head, I'm like, oh, poltergeist came out after this. But that's interesting. No, this came out in just June. a few months this before. So they're essentially contemporaries. Huh. I mean, it was fresh on these children of the 60s minds of like, who are the artists we used to be and who are the consumers we're becoming? Exactly. So the, 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 the hippies became the yuppies. Whenever the kid, his his whole head is vaporized into the creepy crawlers, we see the activation. We see the shamrock on the back of his mm-hmm. little pumpkin mask glowing, and we know something's amiss. And, the, and it just starts melting, caving in, bugs spill out. The wife faints. So um, our next scene, so we see masks flying off the shelves. Kids at every major U.S. city. Are, oh, the montage. The montage. 
they're like nebraska new york la san francisco all these kids are wearing the skeleton pumpkin and witch masks and they're trick-or-treating have a grand old time and again, this kind of took me out of the movie to realize that this is an American issue. It's not a global issue. It's an American issue, this consumerism. They only do mm-hmm. American cities. And I went to Little Shop of Horrors at the alternate end for the 80s version. And I think it might be the same in the 50s, but I can't attest to that. No, you're saying it's specifically. And even though we have this Irish thing. This doesn't happen in the UK no. or Ireland. They just no. told the Stonehenge. It's, it's not their there. problem. Yeah, they they just got the Stonehenge. <laughs> How they did it, that was exciting. <laughs> but you'll hear about it another time. But um, but no, it's an American issue. So they capitalized that at the end. And so it, it just really made me kind of go out of my body and think about Little Shop of Horrors and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Cochran calls the event the, the 9 p.m playing of the commercial race. So he keeps, it, it's all building up to at 9 p.m. Why do you think all 9 these p.m.? Kids the Wasn't that the coveted spot? I, I'll tell day? you. I know why. Okay. This is a trivia. This is my big trivia moment. So he keeps saying it's going to be the big giveaway. Like if you watch this commercial with your mask on, it's like this like event, right? Mm-hmm. At 9 p.m. and you watch the, the Civil Chamber commercial, then there's going to be a big... It's almost like a sweepstake or a big price or something. It's weird. Right. He doesn't really explain what the big giveaway is. I mean, it's all that they're all going to fucking die. <laughs> but here's the most fascinating part about this movie that kind of pays off the fact that they played the commercial to Halloween at the beginning. And then they have that the sequence when Cochran puts the mask on Atkins and makes yeah. him watch Clockwork Halloween. style, Yeah. Yes. And he's watching Lori coming out of the house and watching mm-hmm. a scene from Halloween. 9 p.m. on October 31st, 1982, was the TV premiere of Halloween. Stop and it. so it was a tie in. So the movie came out on October 22nd. So they're talking about this 9 p.m. Give it, it's actually the moment that the world premiere of Halloween. The original, the, the the John Carpenter original, premiered on television, and it was heavily advertised at the same time. So, literally, this movie is having a connection having to something that's happening in real life. Subliminal advertising at the time. To- oh my god! Of its own franchise, but it's also saying if you watch this movie, your head is gonna mush up into a bunch of creepy crawlies. So, the movie that's commenting on capitalism and selling product is commenting on the Halloween franchise's own use of that in the movie itself. Isn't that crazy? Blows my mind. <laughs> Tom Atkins um, very resourcefully um, kicks in the TV. He refuses to watch Halloween, which is so interesting, right? Um, uh, literally, the movie is commenting against itself and its own commercial product franchising all of that he kicks in the tv he takes a a a shard from the broken tv screen and that's how he releases himself and i think before either yes and then he throws the mask and covers the camera i don't know how he does you see how he throws he flings the mask and it perfectly falls in place more meta commentary yes yes (laughs) so like don't watch me and then he gets out of the room no he actually escapes through the air bent, mm-hmm. alien style, yeah. right? Very Sigourney Weaver of him. Right. Um, as the little Agent Smith figure out that, oh, the camera is like, not showing in, yeah. coming to the room, and then there's like a suspense sequence. So eventually he comes out some other way, 
And as the Smith's agents are coming after him, he eventually finds a phone and tries to call Linda. Right. I love it. Linda yells at him. I love that. That was kind of my favorite (laughs) part of the entire third act besides the weird Stonehenge reveal. I love that he just keeps calling Linda on the phone and she just is not fucking having it. And he's just like, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And she's just like super feminist as hell. And she's like, I don't give a shit. You got yourself into this. Figure it out. Like, I love (laughs) Linda. Tell him to just go fuck himself. It was kind of my favorite part. And, um, (laughs) And so then at this point, they do reveal that Cochran is talking about his kind of advertising scheme. He's talking about his shares. He refers to children as the little ones, which always disturbed me, like a little creepy. And it's like, oh, we're marketing to the little ones. And then finally, we get that Cochran, you know, hears that Tom's escaped and Tom finds the daughter. She's like in some weird cell, not worth going into. But like they find each other. They're running around the Amazon warehouse. And that's when Tom finds the shamrock with a barcode on it, much like the Avon lady did from earlier. And then it gets to, doesn't he find like a whole box of them? He finds a box of these security tags slash chips. Tom Atkins finds the box of chips and he realizes that what activates the chips is the commercial that's going to play at 9 p.m. that night. Right. So what he does yeah. is he 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 goes to one of the computers and he f- plays the commercial. I don't know how he does it. He somehow is now a computer programmer <laughs> slash doctor. But he finds a commercial and he plays it. And then he goes to the scaffolding theater. That's right. Because thing. I remember them saying, like, now gather around, old kitties. It's 9 p.m. And gather around your TV sets. I remember that playing. And I was just like, oh, how did he get that to happen? So, yeah, he pressed play. He became the control he booth pr- person and just went, click. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was He was all of a sudden at CBS. <laughs> He's a man of directing. many trades, you know? <laughs> So then he plays a commercial, but it's not 9 p.m. And then so he times it when he goes up to the catwalk theater scaffolding place. He throws the chips when the commercial goes to that part where the pumpkin goes crazy. Right. Which is he realizes that's when the thing gets activated. And that's what creates the the beams coming out of the chips. And it's like a rain of microchips. Madness. Robots are going haywire. The computers are going nuts. There's a ring of blue beams. <laughs> And Stonehenge goes, what? Yeah. And, and madness. <laughs> so, and it's, Stonehenge you know, is a cranky Stepford bitch. Wives. Yeah. So <laughs> the stones aren't happy. They start gl- glowing and everything. And then Cochran comes. This is my favorite 80s villain thing, like from James Spader to this. They just do the slow clap. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> all you got to say from that? Like, he just claps him. I'm like, well done, chap. So he claps. And then he's radiating and glowing in this ray of light with this really odd expression. I'm just going to chalk that up to 80s graphic town. I don't know. But he's vaporated into light and then the factory blows up MacGyver style. Just blows up. And then Tom and his way too young love interest, they just run away. And then they hear the Silver Shamrock commercial through the radio in the Oldsmobile. And... Mm -hmm. But it's still not it's still not time, right? No, but no, but it's no. still not nine PM. They no, heard but, it, it's still in 
in but, anticipation. Right. It's still building up to that moment. But because it's now it's just like, hey, now it's, it's more auditory. It's on the radio. Make sure you tune in. Wear your mask. And then the girl, because she was kidnapped for that mysterious part of time, she has been manufactured into one of the Agent Smiths. And so she starts attacking him. So we're like, she's clearly one of them. And the car runs into a tree. And then he attacks her with a tire iron. And then we see that, yes. she, that she has like wires coming out of her body and all this other stuff. And that's she's a Stepford wife. She's a Stepford <laughs> wife. And, and that's why I took it into women being the next class, like the next victim. Uh, instead of the children getting masks, I, th- I thought that that was their next focus group of getting to women and being like, oh, we're going to charge you more. It's like the pink tax to me. The twist that little Miss Grabass, Ellie Grabass, <laughs> Is uh, basically um, an AI machine, and I, the entire sequence is really cool. It reminds me a little bit of like the ending of Terminator, where like the Terminator won't die, and it's, like her hand keeps coming and like oh. grabs his neck. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, and also I have to say, handsy grabby Tom Atkins got his ass handed to him. He got what he wanted. A lot of grabbing back to him. I just thought it was like ironic. At the end scene, we have Tom begging everybody on the phone. He calls up the local news stations. He sees the commercials on the air. And he's like, take it off the air. Take it off the air. And he realizes, hey, this reaches a lot of stations. We're not in the land of streaming quite yet. He's not begging Netflix to take stuff off. He's (laughs) calling like ABC1, ABC2. Like we just see him dial up the rotary and go through it of like take this off the air people are going to die and then we see for like a quick breather one station does it and maybe another station does it and then we don't know if the following station did it like some damage will be done and and we see like the the channels flipping and tom is just like turn it off turn it off and escalates and he's screaming stop it and he breaks the third wall staring into the camera screaming stop it stop it stop it and it's a very jarring and awesome way to end the film retroactively at the time i'm sure 80s people were like what the fuck is this but at the time like re-watching this i thought it was so brilliant and i wanted to know your interpretation what you personally thought and what you can reveal there's an interesting trivia here. So supposedly the original scripted ending or the actually the original ending of the movie was that as it cuts the black, you hear the sounds of millions of children dying. Oh, oh my god. At the god. same time. Wow. And it was a really dark and grim ending. And then last minute, Tommy Lee Wallace decided to pull the it was just sound. Decided to pull the sound. And I think Tom Atkins was very happy because he didn't like the nihilistic ending. That basically that he, um, the character had failed in saving the children. Going back to get out and, and promising young woman, the nihilistic, most realistic ending yep. is the one scrapped. So we get a different, interesting. Okay, I did not know. So that. we get a hopeful ending, or at least an ambiguous ending, where maybe ambiguous for sure. the station did pull it down. And in fact, the fact that he turns to the camera is like, again, this is a movie that's very meta, right? It has Halloween within it and all this stuff that mm-hmm. we talked about. So it's basically asking the audience to basically don't watch this movie. (laughs) My 
final thoughts on this movie is that it, it is a great movie to rewatch over and over again because every time you see it, you connect. I mean, the, this one I connected all the all the psycho stuff, but it not only has a commentary on on itself, a meta commentary about the Halloween franchise. It has a commentary about um, capitalism and how it operates and uses people. It has a commentary on the fifties, the connection between the fifties and the eighties, the nuclear family. Um, feminist themes through Atkins being handsy and then the woman kind of being the next, like you said, the next one up after the children in terms of the consumer that they're targeting. But also these ideas about, about it's a movie about economics and power and media and everything that's going on in the world today. That's so problematic. The, the, the income inequality, the, the wealth inequality that we have in our society is present in this movie. This is a ghost town where there's a, one old white guy who asks all the money and a bunch of fucking robots. That could be the future. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the, the future is one mo- me- billionaire and a fucking spaceship alone <laughs> with microchips and robots. And sex bots, actually, because, you know, he's going to have to get off. I don't know. <laughs> On that note, it's two days until Halloween. Dun, 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 dun. Two days till Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. Two days till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. Watch and listen at 9 p.m. kitties. Goodbye. <laughs>